Right, something different for Campbell's comments today. Firstly, Lockie Ford from IRT is joining me. Hello, Lock. Hello, mate. How are you? Very, very well. And I'm going to say thank you, one, for showing me around. Um, we're at First Point, but IRT offices as well. There's been a fair bit going on today, but this is an amazing setup, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's world class. Like it's. Uh it was designed when there was a change in the legislation in Australia where they basically said that you needed a first point of entry uh, for animals or any biosecurity matter that came into the country. Um, and obviously with horses being as big as they are and as raucous as they are, we, uh, we had a few challenges with the airport, but we settled on this site. Uh, and this site was created for basically clearing horses in and out of the country. We're going to go into in depth in it in a little bit. I have been fortunate enough to bring two horses in, but they were a long time ago, and it has changed so much. Um, do you ever look back at it and say, well, how did we do it that way? Uh, you do, and you, and you actually you, you look at it and you say how recent it was. Like, we're talking five, six years ago, we were still loading horses out on the tarmac uh, next to the aircraft. So things have changed a lot, and for the better. You know, from a welfare point of view for the horses, uh, it's so much better. You know, the, the legislation change came with a few nightmares and a few sleepless nights, but at the same time, it probably aided industry in being able to set a standard like this. Um, I actually was here, Peter Huntington, um, we did a chat because of uh, Romantic Warrior um, yep. and organising the feed um, through KER, um, and we were friends with Barristock who obviously support me as well, but there's so much more that goes actually into it. You guys were almost the facilitators, and when I say you guys, this is IRT, were almost the facilitators in trying to organise or get the wheels moving to get a feed for a romantic warrior that is one of the favourites for the Cox Plate coming up very, very shortly to get to the country. Because if he didn't eat the feed, he wasn't going to start and he wasn't going to be here. So it's a huge role you guys actually play. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I actually had a laugh with someone yesterday saying that um, the horses is the easy bit. You know, once you include feed, equipment and gear and uh, and people um, that's where the hard stuff comes and the feed the feed's a really interesting one because Australia's got really strict biosecurity standards with feed uh, in terms of the processing of those feeds so often you'll find a runner wants to come into the country with a certain type of feed it may be a feed that's not processed or cooked enough to a level that meets the Australian standards therefore we have to get an import permit to um, irradiate the feed, for instance, which is what we had to do with Romantic Warrior. Why we also had the conversation with Pete at the time and another jockey club reached out to him to, to create something that was a like-for-like like with natural feed here and, and products here. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a complete nightmare. The feed, the feed, the feed is... Uh, we understand the horses need it and we understand that they want to stay on their product, but it is a huge part of our job, which um, comes with moving horses for international racing, yeah. You've got a flight coming over um, very shortly. We'll land Saturday, yeah. um, Saturday and Saturday night here in Melbourne. Uh, Peter was alluding to there before, it's one name I won't forget, Jimmy Hendricks. What a great name. I mean, no one's, no one's going to forget it. He's a racehorse, but he is one horse. But he was saying, like, the different feed companies can be funny to deal with. Yep but others can be very, very easy and very, very accommodating. And Jimi Hendrix, basically, they, they gave him all the rationals and uh, he's gone through and designed a feed and that horse will arrive in Sydney with a feed that he couldn't bring in from Europe, but he's going to have a pretty close like-for-like -like feed when he arrives in Sydney, um, you know, to partake in some huge racing for the, for the racing economy. 
Yeah, he, he is, and and Pete Pete's a fascinating guy. You know, he's he's uh, IRT's had a long association with Pete and and KER, uh, and he's always been our go-to expert for feed, and he actually designs our feed that we use for horses that come in from Europe or overseas at our quarantine facility to make sure. Because there's, there's two different types of horses we move. There's the runners that are usually yep. in work, hot feed. They need to be up and running and, and active very quickly. And then we have our general traffic horses that might be horses that have been bought for, um, you know, might be stallions or they might be uh, runners that are going to run in six months' time. They need a lot cooler feed and we've got to make sure that we don't heat the horses up too much so that they carry on like pork chops out of quarantine. Pete helps a lot with that in terms of designing those feeds. Um, but in terms of like-for-like feeds, you can pretty much give a feed to Pete and say, hey, this is what we need to replicate and he will, within 99.9%, be able to replicate the feed that is, is being used overseas. Um, we could stay on Pete for a while, but I encourage people to go and watch the interview I did with him because it is really, really cool. Well, we will start feed for one sec. How often, like on a plane, how often do you feed them? Do you do you guys guide the people through feeding them? And one other thing I did notice, and I want to make sure this is correct, but um, you give the horses hay, and it helps with their eardrops popping because anyone that's flown as a human, yeah. Is, it, so that is true. Yeah, it is to a degree. Yeah, it is. There's a few different things for the feed. So feeding for a general traffic horse, we won't feed the horse in flight. So we will basically give them access to hay and good quality hay so that it's getting through the horse without too many problems. In terms of general feeding, we don't in-flight because of issues potentially with colic on arrival or colic in air, which is huge problems if that happens. Um, Runners would tend to have a light feed, so that would literally be a couple of handfuls of feed maybe every eight hours or so, but keeping it minimal because you don't want too much in the guts, again, for risk of colic and those sort of things. Um, Because horses in air are naturally under pressure. They're, they're feeling a bit tense, they're yeah. feeling a bit nervous. That's when the onset of colic and things can happen. So for us, um, we tend to steer away from feed at all on the flights. But you're right, the, one, of the, one of the benefits of hay nets is the, the munching of the ears, and yeah, it does keep their ears nice and clear. That was Elder Baron Zeus, and uh, we will, at the end of it, we will touch on the two standardbreds because um, they both had their flights, but we'll talk about, about those. So the European, European horses are coming out as we speak, I'll give the brother a little bit of a wrap. He's one of the grooms going to be bringing those horses back. Now, there's horses for the Sydney Carnival and Melbourne Cup. That in itself's changed because this time of year, the flight would only be coming to Melbourne. There wouldn't have been too many horses dropping off at Sydney, but now with the Sydney Carnival... So that must automatically give you guys a little bit of a logistic nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, uh, and, you, and you're dealing with two jurisdictions that really don't want to deal with each other. So you what, try. Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, no. They, <laughs> funny enough, they don't get on that well. Uh, but uh, so we, we're completely independent. But we do. They do have to coordinate with each other a little bit because, for instance, if we use the example of the runners coming in for the spring carnival, so they use a facility that we lease each carnival called Side Hill, which is owned by Judmont, which is a facility that has about 18 stalls great facility, has access to the gallops, that during the quarantine we actually have to shut the gallops down in the afternoon, so literally have people marshalling the gallops to make sure that the horses are kept in isolation so the horses can be kept in work. We now have to run the one facility for, facility for both Melbourne and Sydney, so the horses are both training there at the same time. We've now coordinated a flight that used to just come to Melbourne uh, that now stops in Sydney and Melbourne, so you, your runners get off in Sydney and then your runners get off in Melbourne. So from a logistics point of view, it's definitely become more complicated, uh, but it's just another 
another piece in the puzzle. Um, they wouldn't stay on the tarmac very long in Melbourne, in Sydney. I would imagine you try to get them here as quick as you can. Is that would that be fair? Yep, an hour. I think the scheduled time is an hour and a half. So they touch down, land, literally take off the the five stalls they're getting off in Sydney. Plane go, comes down here. Does the plane only have horses on it, or is there other cargo and other passengers on it, or is it just purely a you know a, a horse-bound flight? No, it's a cargo plane, so uh, there's no passengers other than the crew yep. uh, on the plane. Uh, the the freight can be anything, mate. It could be uh, pharmaceutical products coming in. It could be uh, airline equipment. Australia Australia is quite a big importer of goods whereas our export market is a lot less so the planes coming in are usually fairly full i remember actually it's funny what i was saying that because i remember grant was saying uh, one time they had two very expensive cars that were actually on pallets and uh, the word was do not breathe on them because they <laughs> got alarmed so i actually I do, I do remember that i don't think they come to australia i think they stayed off in the middle east there somewhere but uh, that was one of the ones i remembered when they land here um, and this is a part that has changed, and I would imagine it's changed. Do you have a similar facility to this in Sydney? No. No. So no. Sydney's still the old style? Uh, it's been redesigned by Sydney Airports, so it's managed and operated by Sydney Airports, or it's actually operated by Swissport, the freight handler, um, but it's, it's an open-air facility rather than an enclosed facility like here. Yeah, so the, the old one, anyone remember, that was around the back, uh, basically where the passengers got on the plane, it was just around the back of there, and you've got the old ramp around the side that uh, uh, got all the horses off, and it did work. I yep. mean, you know, we don't, I don't know any bad stories, and we don't want to bring any of those, but it did work. This facility, though, is state-of-the-art, starting from, basically, they come into, like, a land, uh, air-locked, you yep. said, but it is open air, but it is an air-locked area, um, and get unloaded, which, for me, just seems so safe, for everything from the rollers to get the horses out here and get them into the right spot to the, the beautiful ramp you have going down um, for the horses to be able to disembark. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's unbelievable, really. You know, and it, it is world-class. It's probably one of the best facilities in the world. From a, when we first designed this facility, it wasn't about being a, a stabling unit on airport or an animal hotel that they have around Europe and those sort of places. It was purely designed to safely offload and transit horses onto trucks to get them to quarantine or vice versa to get them to the plane. Yep. So the whole idea of this facility was to create a really good flow for both the horses, the stalls and the people that are involved. So what we've designed here is really about keeping it nice and safe. You can see all the rubber that's down here. It's um, so soft. It's so soft. So you can have a horse scrambling off its head and any, you know, you can have a foal and a mare next to it and they don't even poke, you know, would not better than eyelid because they just don't panic around this area um, and being inside here you've Melbourne weather you can have five seasons in a day <laughs> even though there's only four Melbourne somehow seems to throw up a few extras um, it, it basically is it keeps all of that out of it so from a horse point of view you're in a very very controlled environment um, which for us is is perfect and it has changed the way that we load horses and the way we unload horses and it means that their journey is shorter too because you can do it in a quicker time which is great for it's great for everyone confidence for people from europe bringing horses here get onto the standard resident horses traveling from there to go there to start off here yep. um, and know that they're 90 chance they'll be on that in their box and on their flight or out of their box and heading off to to their destination a, a couple of the, the logistical things that, like, I'd never th thought about. For starters, you know, cleaning out 
um, the boxes and the waste and, and things along the lines that people people just don't think about. It. I suppose you know everyone picks up poo. Anyone that's watching this has picked up poo at some point in time. But that in itself is a little bit of a minefield. You have stuff come from New Zealand. doesn't have to be the same as the stuff coming with these Melbourne Cup horses and things like that. Um, it must be a lot easier with this facility than what it once was. But I suppose it also probably gets a little bit harder with the quarantine rules. It does, the quarantine rules. And look, the quarantine rules are there for a reason, and that is Australia is an island and we yep. want to protect our borders from, you know, both horse exotic diseases, but also diseases that might come from biological waste and that is with that's horseshit you know and stuff that might come in with the horses from overseas so it is it is a logistical nightmare um, working through those types of things but it's a pretty simple process you know you have flights that come in here that come from New Zealand they are considered a like for like with Australia uh, and as long as we have very clear manufacturer declarations on the way the shavings were produced that waste can the stalls do have to be cleaned but that waste can just go into general waste yep Whereas when you're bringing in a horse from, say, America, Europe, uh, into Australia, they're considered a higher risk by a biological um, concern. So therefore, those stalls have to be cleaned out the same way, but their waste has to go into quarantine bins. Those quarantine bins are then either deep buried or uh, sent off for incineration, and it can only be handled by two or three contractors here in Melbourne. So it's a higher cost, uh, and it's also just a logistical bit of mayhem. I was going to say, it's, it's a hidden cost that a lot of people wouldn't think about. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and there's so many things on international movements in terms of costs that, yeah, you, you just wouldn't think about it. You know, we think of international movement, we think of jumping on a passenger plane. Yeah. You know, and the most you might have to do is do a visa. These things, you know, you've got to worry about the horse waste, you've got to worry about the feed waste, you've got to worry about the customs entries, you've got to worry about the Department of Agriculture, you've got to do, a, over on that side, you've got to do a health certificate, you've got stud book transfers and that's before you even move the horse you know like these are just things that are costs that build into the international movement of a horse so there's a there's a lot to consider when you look at the end-to-end product and service that we offer Uh, and that's you know to do IT does it really well and I think we we do do it really well in having a network of offices around the world because you're shipping to each other so yep. you've got a very good affinity with the, what they're, what empathy with what they're having to deal with, and vice versa. They know what we're having to deal with here, and it, it allows you to actually create a really nice flow um, on being able to send the horses in and out. Um, biosecurity. Anyone would have seen you know, any of those biosecurity things. Some of us get upset. I know I do. Every time I fly to New Zealand, I've got to open my bags about ten times over because I say I've got cameras, and then that's it. You've got to open them. But it would be a similar thing here with the horses if it wasn't regulated properly and done done the right way as well, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, the, the rules are there in place. And the rules aren't just specific to Australia. Every country has a set of rules. So if you're sending horses from uh, one of our large clients is the Hong Kong Jockey Club. So if we're sending horses to Hong Kong, they will set out a rule book that we have to follow, and that is that the horses do a 21-day quarantine before they go. They have to be equine influenza vaccinated. They have to be tested for X, Y, Z blood test before they go. So every country has those rules. So it's not unique to Australia, um, but I guess the the thing that Australia is so conscious about is our agricultural industry and protecting our borders. Um, And so we have a really good working relationship with the department uh, in terms of being able to meet those requirements uh, and also just being able to protect the, the industry here.
And the other part is, is with grooms, I said there before about Grant, and you gave me a, a little bit of a run-through on how it, how it works. We don't actually necessarily have to go into that, but, I mean, they're moving horses. Horses get put on a truck and they leave, and you sort of think that that's it. But um, the grooms and anyone that comes in here um, and handles horses in any way, when we're here at first point, um, they have to go through this amazing shower <laughs> system. And it, it, it must feel a little bit like a jail, I reckon, for the guys, especially the first couple of times. I imagine after a while they get used to it. But uh, this this shower system and and that, that would have took a little bit of working out I would imagine but again from Department of Health's point of view they, they must be wrapped with how it all works. Yeah well one of the one of when this was first created and it's been one of the um, you know touch points for uh, import protocols for a number of years and I think a, it really got highlighted post EI because people started to think okay well how does the disease move and um, who are the carriers of that disease and one of the things that was identified was horse waste and people yeah uh, and people went oh right okay so when a person lands we can't just let them go at the gate because they could be covered in EI or a horse disease and then go to their stable or wherever so it was a it was a real focus point and it's changed the way that imports happen now so you talk about your grant and the grooms that come in so anyone who touches the horses here if it's an international arrival they have to go and have a three-minute shower, so they work through our maze of shower systems, um, and they literally get locked in the shower for three minutes. Yeah. Uh, and that's the protocol and the standard for saying that someone can be disinfected and cleaned. Uh, and then they put on new clothes. Their, their old clothes, get or their dirty clothes, as they call them, would be laundered, and their clean clothes are on the other side where they get into. Um, and that's all just, again, that's just breaking down those layers of potential spread of disease and unfortunately for the grooms that's part of the process but you're right in saying that some people freak out i know we when we bring international grooms in here and they might dispatch from here they find it really confronting being stuck in the shower for three minutes because three minutes is a really long time yeah you know when you when you're on a clock three minutes in a shower is a really long time um so we've had a few people freak out in there and we do have emergency buttons that they can press if they if they freak out too much we must say it's not it's not as barbaric as a as a jail. I mean, you get a change room, then walk into a shower, but you can't go back into where you got changed. You have to walk out the other day, and everything is locked. That the next person waiting cannot get in there until the first person has actually left the place. The doors all lock, and then that process and the clothes are gone. It starts a process up. So it is like that. We don't want anyone to be thinking they are in a jail and there's bikes with guns or anything like that. It's, it is just a little bit different. But it is it is cool insight. One of the other things, and, and as I said, it was um, Romantic Warrior was a horse that triggered me through just listening to the radio on 927, and I must say it was just an awesome interview saying about the feed and all the rest. But also with the harness horses, just recently um, Elder Baron Zeus flew to America, which is not a common flight for horses. Well, it is a common flight, but not for horses to actually go over there and race. And more, more differently again was Just Believe um, and going all the way to Sweden. Uh, what was it, 22 hours, 21 hours yeah, or something along, that, along yeah. those lines? One, do you enjoy the challenges of something, I suppose, a little bit uh, differently? And, and how much work goes in behind the scenes trying to logistically organise the travel for all those trips? A, a truckload of work, in, in short. Um, so the, the, I, I personally, I love that sort of stuff. You know, I, I, I like to think that IRT is a business where we facilitate people's dreams and people's um, desires to do things that might be really different um, and when you get presented with something like that you go oh geez how are we going to do this and then you have to work through you basically would grab a piece of paper and write down a list of things that cross your mind uh, and when you go to places like uh, Europe 
every European country, you need different little health certificates and you need customs entries and you need to worry about, OK, well, how are they not going to be whacked with tax here if we move it this way? And then is there a way of going in on a bond or can they go in on a carne or how do we do that? We've got to speak to the, um, the, the business authorities down here on how that possibly can happen. So for us, they're really, really good challenges, really cool challenges, but they come with a lot of pressure um, because expectations are that, oh, I'll tell you, will fix this. They'll, yeah. be, they'll be fine. They'll be able to work this out. And nearly every time we do, but it does come with a lot of, lot of pressure. And, and that's the thing. You can sit there and watch a presentation of any horse and they say, oh, we're going to go take on, the, take on the world. You know, we're going to go back and take on the ark and things along those yeah. lines. Do you ever sit there and watch and you go, geez, have you got everything in order before you just come to us? Or, or do, you re- do, you, do you watch an interview like so someone says that they're going to go, you know, take on the ark or, you know, go to America. If you get wind of it, do you touch base with them and just say, hey, you're travelling? Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I actively keep, keep an interest in and an eye on everything that's happened from a both thoroughbred and standardbred market in terms of um, things that are happening and discussions that are taking place. Um, and we, we actively will say, you know, especially you, know, you, you can see peak times during the year. Uh, and thoroughbreds is a classic example where, you know, you see the sprinters start running, you know, in, in, in autumn and you go, OK, well, Ascot, the Ascot discussion is going to come up soon, you know. So you, you, as soon as you start seeing the Ascot discussion, you'll just touch base with the trainers and say, hey, just letting you know, there's a few things that you need to do if you want to keep this potential dream alive. And usually that's vaccinating and a few simple things that they can do in between their racing. <clears throat> so we do keep an eye on that and stay in touch with people, yeah. And then the flip side, do you watch Just Believe and Elder Baron Zeus, do you watch them uh, race? Like, I, I imagine, I know both actually were terrific on social media, both Duncan and also um, Lara J Farms. Uh, Greg was quite funny on a few, a few of the ones that he actually put on there. Do you find yourself following their, their trip and then, I suppose, watching the results of their race and, and sort of get a bit of a smirk? Absolutely. And, it, and the, the wonderful thing is when you see horses perform well and a and expectations of what we as Australians would like our horses or New Zealanders to do on the global scale. When you see them perform really well, you do have a sense of pride in, in being involved in it, but you also, it gives you a belief that our product's good enough, you know, and, and we do have a really good product here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and we've got some tragic, some standard bread tragics in our office, you know, we've got um, a lot of guys who just follow the standard breads and they actually don't even know what thoroughbreds are. That's the, they're so one-eyed standard bread uh, and they're, they're just constantly showing us videos of horses winning all over the place. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's, it, is, it is great. And as I said, this is first point and... Um, uh, Woods here in New Zealand, I'm going to be in trouble here. Guys from NZB, F right, is it as well? They come yep. into here. So, this area here, come into here. You guys have the offices here um, and you oversee it, but it is pretty much any domestic, uh, sorry, any international horse plane. And when I say international, of course, New yep. Zealand are international. Uh, they all come through this now state of the art facilities. Um, one thing I do know, and I asked you this before, you've shipped the most horses um, out of a singular airport here in the southern hemisphere, is that correct? Yes, correct. 60 horses, is that right? Uh, 60. We've done more than that, actually. Yeah, we've done more. We've, we've done a few shipments to South Africa of that size. When back in the... Uh, would have been 2005 through to 2010, there was a huge demand for Australian horses in South Africa. Um, we used to send plane loads of them, so 60 horses at a time, and your brother w- was a groom on one of those flights, um, where you'd do double drops because you'd drop some into Johannesburg and then you'd send some into Cape Town. Um, 
for different reasons. Usually it was where their stables were set up and it was what quarantine they wanted to, to land in. So they're always difficult jobs. But we have done some shipments where you send 81 on a plane. 81? Yeah. So there's, there's actually... The way a freight plane is designed is it's designed... It's basically a passenger plane with nothing in it. All it's got is a tracking system that allows for stores or PMCs to move in and out for freight to move in and off the plane. And there's 27 of those positions that can be used for horses. And so if you're you're filling up a plane, you you can fill it up with 81. Um, And some of those shipments have been, you know, movements to China. I know, I think the, the New Zealand office might have a record. I reckon they sent maybe... 130 horses on a plane and you'll say how can that happen because there's only 27 positions they send a heap of minis and so they had these crates designed (laughs) (laughs) that could double deck Uh, and that's how the cattle move around uh, if they go via air freight so i don't know what the exact number was but it was definitely over 100 and they hold the record i think that's awesome. I was just picturing all these little miniatures. On there. But, I mean, and that's the thing. And we, we, we're talking here about the Spring Carnival and, you know, high-priced standard breads um, that are going to stand back at stud. But you, it, every horse gets treated equally. Those minis come off here or wherever they actually are. And that, that is the cool part. It doesn't – if it's a dollar horse or a $100 horse, it makes no difference how they're treated when they, they land here. People look after them in, this, in the same way. Every horse is treated the same. Every groom is treated the same. Uh, just on the grooms, the guys coming with the international horses, they don't shower down here. If anyone's wondering, they shower down at Werribee because they actually stay with the horses. They get on that truck and travel with those, whereas Grant, my brother, they go to the quarantine centre, uh, the horses do, and the, the grooms don't come off here. That's how it sort of does work, just if anyone is watching. Correct, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically there's... Anyone who comes in from an international point of view has to shower out somewhere yep. and they have to be under control. So the grooms would shower out, the, the IRT employed grooms like, a, like Grant would shower out here at first point uh, and then jump in the car and off go home. Uh, the grooms that come in, so they might be stable grooms, so it might be uh, Aidan O'Brien who might have some, some guys on the plane or Joseph O'Brien out of Ireland or James Ferguson out of the UK. He would have his grooms coming in with the plane. Those guys would then be placed onto the truck with the horses they'd go down to Werribee for instance and then shower out of Werribee and then Werribee's a whole different um, beast as well and I would imagine that probably creates a little bit of an issue too with language barriers and things along those lines I could talk to you forever I was just (laughs) thinking about that then if you got the the odd groom that didn't speak English and I know there's a few that struggle with the English and uh, yeah telling them to get on the plane they're like no a truck I don't want to get on the truck so you you could you could have a lot of fun lucky thank you well done for what you guys are doing and safe travel and things along those lines, but like a little silent achiever. And um, as I said, basically, I've got to give a shout out to Andrew Soper, another guy who was a groom who does work for, now back works for KER, because he actually facilitated Peter Huntington. Peter got me here. Uh, he's been able to get me this. So I do, one, appreciate it, really appreciate it, the insight, and hopefully it opens up a few eyes for, for people. But it is, you know, something very, very integral. And we want people to take their horses and take on the world yeah. and have facilities like this to, to be a starting point and also you know a coming home point as well it's uh, pretty cool so thank you well done keep up what you guys are doing I think it's awesome and uh, hopefully I can come back here one day hopefully we get a Melbourne Cup winner out of here uh, this time or something like that your locals mightn't like it but uh, thank you very much thank you thanks for your time